0: This is the Accounting Insider Show. So this is another thing that a lot of investors are unaware of. There's got to be an easier way. It's cheapable for anyone. It doesn't cost anything to set up a business. Because there are many great ideas out there, but it's the people that make ideas happen. Because once you unlock this formula, there's no reason to stop. You just get better and better at it. You just make so much money out of it. Hi there, guys. Um... Another episode of The Accounting Insider. Today's episode is a bit of a different one. Um, it sort of starts out talking about what's just recently happened to me and then ends up sort of touching on what has come out of it, the reflections, changes I'm making, um, what I've learnt from it, where this whole journey is ending up and where where I'm being taken by it all. Anyway. Um, let's get back to the start of it. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, it was a normal day at, off, at the office. Um, it was a Tuesday. I had a couple of client meetings in the afternoon. And I was heading away to my beach house two days later. So I was just madly driving around the city, trying to pick up the last bits and pieces to get my trailer packed to take to my beach house for a two-week holiday been looking forward to this holiday for a while my boys were leaving school a day early they'd arranged with one of their friends to knock off school a day early and so it was all coming together and I was um leaving work oh sort of half an hour early that day I had a bit of a headache a bit of a migraine um I had to go to Bunnings I put the trailer on behind my car um I went to Bunnings I got what I needed now this is a normal occurrence for me but I was in the Bunnings store grabbing some sheets of gyprock and the the gyprock sheets were um, 1.2 meters high by 2.4 meters long now my trailer is only um, 7 feet so that's 2100 so as you can imagine there's about um, 300 mils that is sticking out the back of the trailer so um, I purchased the sheets and then I was in the Bunnings car park with my trailer parked in the bottom corner taking up sort of a car park and a bit but I was in the bottom sort of corner of the car park so I wasn't upsetting the flow of cars and I was just sitting there and I actually got my angle grinder out, put a cut off disc on it and I was actually cutting through the the Jiprock sheets in the Bunnings car park. Now, I've spoken to a couple of people about that. Most people don't think that's normal. For me, that's just another day at the office. Um, so I was working busily away on cutting these sheets up so that they'd fit in my trailer, and then I strapped them all down, and then it was time to head off. And I sort of wanted to be at the five o'clock rush, so driving with a trailer in the city is a little bit trying at times. So I try to leave a little bit before the big rush, and I was doing that. And I was heading up to my place up in the hills. So driving through the city, no problems. Um, I was, the, the migraine as I left the bunny's car park, I can remember was sort of getting a little bit worse. Um, but I was thinking that I would get home, park up the car and the trailer, uh, have a couple of Panadols, just lie down. And this sort of, Headache, migraine that I'd experienced before was not uncommon for me. And in the past it had been okay that I'd just sort of um, laid down and rested, and it sort of usually went away. Well, in this situation it didn't. Um, I was so driving my way home, it's probably a forty-five minute drive, got halfway home, realised that the headaches and the um um migraine that I was experiencing was intensifying. Uh and I was getting closer and closer home. So it was sort of a bit of a race against time. Um, but in the end I um like I was experiencing some intestinal pain as well. Uh so a whole combination of events, inattention, uh I basically ran off the road and crashed my car. Now, (laughs) while I brush it off, it was was not a pleasant experience. And as you can imagine, driving through the hills, uh, there's a lot of steep drop-offs. There's a lot of um, cliffs. Uh, Fortunately, where I had my crash, I ran up an embankment and ran into a... uh, like a, a pine fence post fence um yeah, and it wasn't too much damage to my car. This could have been so much worse. I ripped off the front bumper bar effectively of my prado. um I wasn't far from home, so a neighbor ran out and i I knew the neighbor but he in his shock he didn't actually know me, so I reintroduced myself to him, but he could see that I was in a bit of pain, and things weren't going too well for me, so he was a bit startled, but the reason that he actually came out was because when I hit the fence, I must have also hit a tree which brushed against the stobie pole, which took his power lines out. Not, not you know, like <laughs> um didn't drop the power lines on the ground or anything, but made them sway enough so that they shorted out and he lost power. Uh, so Anyway, I uh, I pulled my car up and, uh, yeah, he'd come across the road to talk to me and he was good. He was just saying, do you know, do you want a glass of water? What can I do for you? And then someone from the shop on the other side of the road came out from their business and they didn't even speak to me. They just rang the ambulance and rang the police. and So they basically told me that I couldn't really go anywhere. I mean, I was thinking I'd just jump back in my car and drive home but he was sort of a bit stern with me which I wasn't one to argue because I still wasn't in a, a good place even after all this had happened. I was still experiencing some pain even though, believe it or not, the pain after 10 or 15 minutes had actually subsided but the level of intensity that I'd actually I'd been through caused me to sort of crash. Anyway, um, they... Put me into the ambulance, they checked my blood pressure, they checked my oxygen levels in my blood, they felt around in the sort of the region of the stomach that I was experiencing the pain in and by this time it was sort of, it was almost not too bad, well it was still painful but it was getting less so I was thinking I was on this trajectory where it was actually going to go away in the course of like half an hour or an hour, so they said to me, um, do you want us to take you to hospital or do you want to go home? Um, And Dean, my neighbour, had fortunately rung my wife by that stage, so she was there, so I had another option. And so I just wanted this all to go away. So I said, oh, look, I'm feeling not too bad. Uh, I'll go home. And then the policeman made me blow in the the bag, test my alcohol level in my blood, I hadn't been out to lunch that day, so the blood alcohol level was nil. Um, then he asked for me to step outside of the ambulance, and then he, while he was recording with his chest cam, he said, can you explain to me what's happened? So I ran through what I thought the actual um, cause of the accident was. and He was like, it all made sense to him, and then... You know, because he is a police officer, he actually had to turn around and issue me with a warning. He said, I'm not going to fine you. Um, he was warning me for driving my car without having control of the car. Which, and and that, that's fine, I get that, they've got a job to do, but it was it felt like he was actually more interested in closing off on his file than actually assisting me in my situation. And it felt like he was more there to discipline me and caution me and warn me actually to help me and and I get that but that's that's I guess their role Um, but at the time you feel as though you you sort of been um, a bit abandoned by the system not helped by the system and you know it was also there were so many people standing around and all wanting to know what actually happened everyone wanted answers and I didn't actually know the answers and I, I was just trying to keep it all together and give them coherent story as to my recollection of what actually happened. So, you know, in hindsight, um, I, st- I still didn't know what was actually taking place, but once, once the policeman had sort of um, worked out um, what his uh, story was going to be on his file, he said, look... Um, I don't know why he said this but he said your insurance company should pay you out there's no reason to question a claim Um, and do you want us to organise a tow truck or do you want to drive home well I said I'll drive home so I jumped in my car and my wife followed me and we drove up the road about 500 metres to my rental property parked there and left the car there Um, then I jumped in my wife's car and then she drove us to my house, and while I was a passenger in her car, the, the the stomach pain was sort of coming back again. So I was pulling out the seat belt so that there wasn't the, the, the lower band of the seat belt seat belt wasn't actually resting on my stomach. Um, but again, I thought it was just a a pain that was just going to be more or less um, something that went away over time, and with some Panadol some pain relief it would be manageable, so um, we got home, I went straight to bed and then I really just couldn't get comfortable for about two hours, I lay there and then I started vomiting, just made it to the bathroom, then I came out and I said to Sophia, you're going to have to take me to hospital, I just, the pain's not going away, it's not getting any better and I don't know what's actually happening and the vomiting's just not. Like that's the, the the final straw, really. So um, we rushed down to the Calvary Adelaide Hospital emergency department. I had to wait, even though there were maybe only two or three people in the waiting room. I still had to wait ten, fifteen minutes for them to see me. And then once they saw me, then they managed to do their RAT COVID test, and that took another twenty minutes to get the results. And I'm they're asking me for my pain score, and I'm saying nine and a half out of ten. It was pretty pretty severe Uh, you know I wasn't it it wasn't easy sitting there waiting for them to go through all of their checks and balances and procedures before they actually saw me I just wanted some immediate seriously strong pain relief straight away anyway um, time passed and then they I sort of hobbled into the emergency department and they allocated me to a bed and they sat me down and then they started taking my bloods and did some X-rays and then they injected some dye into my stomach, um, and then they it didn't take them long. Well, and then of course they gave me some pain relief as well. So they injected fentanyl into my arm. The first dose didn't really do anything, so they gave me a double shot, um, and that was that was awesome. Like synthetic narcotics, so just the best pain relief. But the side effect is that you feel a bit dizzy and a bit spaced out. So I went to the toilet at one stage and. Hard to sort of remember where my hospital bed was, making my way back um, you know, you feel a little bit spaced out anyway by the time I'd sort of settled down, I was starting to get the blood results you know the blood tests back I think that they could detect that there was an infection in my system um, I think that the, the um, CT scan showed that my uh, I was suffering from acute appendicitis so finally. 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock that night, I had some clarity on why this was all happening and and what was causing it. So, you know, you suspect the worst when you go through these serious sort of incidences. Um, You know, am I dying? Have I got cancer? Now I knew it was acute appendicitis appendicitis. as soon as I had a uh, appendicectomy, I'd be back on track and life should be back to normal. So that night was horrendous in the emergency department. Believe it or not, the printer at the front reception desk wasn't working, which meant that even though they had a bed allocated for me upstairs in this beautiful new hospital, I couldn't be transferred upstairs because they couldn't print the forms out for me to sign to discharge me and move me upstairs. So I spent the whole night in emergency. Now, I don't know whether you've ever spent time in emergency, but... It's not a good place to get some sleep. And I was tired and exhausted. I'd been through a lot. So I was up pretty well all night. I managed to drop off to sleep between about 3.30 and 6 o'clock. And at about five ten past 6, the surgeon came and tapped on my shoulder and said, um, I'm the surgeon who's going to be operating on you. I've got... Um, room in my list, I'll add you to the front of my list which starts at like one o'clock today, but we need to transfer to another hospital. Um, Can your wife come and pick you up and transfer you because if we put you on the list for an ambulance, um, the ambulances get um, allocated on the basis of priority and because you're now um, being managed appropriately with your pain, you won't be the highest priority on the list. So it's going to be easier if your wife comes and picks you up. So Sophie did that at, I think, 11. I was discharged. Still, you know, on, um, I think I was on Plexia at that stage, which is another um, synthetic narcotic. But um, I was off the fentanyl, uh, and that's just a tablet, not a, uh injection. And just Panadol, and I think uh, Nurofen as well. I got transferred to another hospital. I got transferred to Calvary, North Adelaide, and I was in there, and um, I arrived at, maybe after I'd been admitted, eleven thirty, twelve 12 o'clock, uh, at calm t- 10 past 12, I think, I was being wheeled down in my hospital bed towards the theatre, and I still wasn't 100% sure what was happening. I'd sort of heard... I, I, I only spoke to the surgeon for about five, ten minutes, and he said it would be keyhole surgery. Um, it was all very, very short conversation. So I didn't actually know what was happening. So as I'm lined up in the hall outside the theatre, talking to my anaesthetist system, my surgeon, I said, look, can you just explain to me before I go under the knife what's actually happening to me? So explain it would be keyhole surgery. My appendix would be removed. And it would be a course of like um, two days, Resting in bed and then a week's sick leave. Um, so that, that all seemed okay and they all seemed like nice people. So um, I got knocked out with a general anesthetic and went in for the operation. Coming out of the operation, operation went smoothly, but um, in my recovery, uh, for some reason, uh, I stopped breathing. So there was a code blue medical emergency uh and they had to resuscitate me and that involved putting a plastic tube down my throat pumping oxygen into my lungs now when i came to i was obviously still out to it when all this was happening uh, when i came to um the nurse said to me oh did you realize do you realize you just had a code blue medical emergency and i I wasn't really sure what that meant. I said, "Oh my, I no, I wasn't aware of that, obviously, but uh, I've got no recollection of that." However, my my throat was really, really sore, and they said, "Oh, that's because they had to shove a big plastic tube down your throat um, as part of um, getting you to breathe again." And then they kept me on oxygen for twenty four hours. I had two tubes down my nostril, and every I think they'd come and check on me every. Hour, yeah. Check my blood alcohol, uh, blood—not um, blood alcohol. Check the oxygen content in my blood, uh, and that is supposed to be ninety six, and it was about ninety there for the first maybe four to six hours. And also, I was getting um, oxygen pumped into my nose. Uh, so, yeah, that was an interesting experience. So, all in all. Accident could have been really bad in the car, and then the recovery, the code blue medical emergency. You know, that could have been really bad as well. So, it feels like in the course of twenty four hours, I almost died twice. Now, I'm I've just turned fifty. Um, I'm fit, healthy. I've never had any medical problems in my whole life. This whole course of events has has been a massive shock to the system. It's been it's really freaked me out. Um to the extent that um so I, I got discharged. Um I stayed in hospital that afternoon and night and then the next morning I got discharged at about ten o'clock in the morning. And the funny thing was I was still I was in quite a bit of pain, even though it's keyhole surgery, I sort of thought that it would be uh my really minor procedure and really minor incisions and and cuts but it, it was really really painful like i had trouble sitting up and turning in bed that's how much pain i still had in my stomach um but i got home and then you know everyone was happy to see me but the boys still wanted to know when we were going to be going away on the holiday to the shack so i i to buy myself some time. I didn't really know exactly how I was going to be recovering and how long it was going to take. I got sort of an insight from the janitor at the hospital. You know, he said that he'd had keel surgery and he said it was actually, he was in bed for a week. Uh, It's not going to be two days, it's going to be a week. And, you know, you really can't lift or do anything active for two weeks. So that gave me a bit more insight. But, you know, I, I thought that I'd have a pretty quick recovery. Because the doctor had sort of implied that it was be pretty quick, so I said to the boys, "I said, look, it's Thursday today. Let's leave on the Saturday, so we'll leave two days late for our holidays." So they were fine. They wanted some direction, and you know, they were, they knew that I had a serious sort of um, uh, medical event, and uh, they were happy to put the holiday on hold for two two days. But um, so I told them that. On the Friday morning when I woke up, I was still in so much pain. And the drive to the shack is eight hours. So there was no way on day one of my recovery that I could project that by day two, I would be able to sit in a car and drive for eight hours. I couldn't even sit up in bed. I could hardly even turn over in bed. So I said to Sophie, look, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be up to driving. And then she was good enough to say, well, I'll I'll take them over. So... Our gardener packed all of the um, gear into the trailer and, well, it was actually already packed when I got home from hospital, so I didn't have to do any lifting, which was great. I basically just, it was all set up for me to drive, but then Sophie said she'd do that, so it was good. So she took off that day and that left me at home by myself for seven days just to relax, recover, recuperate. Now, I, I was... In so much pain, I couldn't really drive for like three or four days. I didn't actually drive for the whole week. And then on the Saturday, so maybe eight, eight days later, I drove, but it was only a short drive. And that I was, I was just a little bit nervous getting behind the wheel after what had happened. So um, I drove the next day as well, and then I had to drive at night for an hour, um, and I, I just couldn't do it. Like, I was just only daylight driving there for a little while because I was just still still in shock from the whole idea ordeal, ordeal, ordeal that had happened to me. Uh, while I was in bed for that week, I I, uh, I did a couple of things. Like, I read the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which is, which is a great book. Uh, and it was just, it was really refreshing to read a book like that. I mean, I just listen to the um, audio book while I was in bed and it was it was just so refreshing to know that um, often in life uh, it's just time to step back and take your hands off the wheel and just uh, say no to a lot of things and uh, just let life sort of take care of itself and you just sort of step out of the the picture for a little while and, and not get so caught up in micromanaging everything and just letting everything just sort of slide and delegate and just picking out what you actually do want to do which what's just the stuff that you enjoy and so it was, it was good to the. I mean I didn't make it through the whole book but I got sort of the gist of what the book was saying in the, about the first third uh, but yeah the first third of the book was just really yeah it's just what I needed to hear and then the other book that I read while I was um in rehab or recouping uh was uh, tony robbins money master the game now that was a really good book it was more sort of just about managing superannuation automating the payments that are coming out of your your pay or your business forgetting that it's actually happening and then managing all the costs of your investment and putting your investment in an indexed fund uh Now, this is just general advice This is what i picked up and really that was all that the book had to say and that it also said that you know over time index funds go up at a certain percent and there's always going to be market fluctuations and the media is going to jump on the bandwagon and push those fluctuations further upwards than they need to go and when they're going down further downwards than they need to go but over time that return on your investment will come back and line up with whatever percentage like 4567% over time and the thing to watch is what you're paying in costs and fees and minimize them because over time all of those fees add up and the only way to truly retire in style is to make sure that you live within your means and that your savings or superannuation payments whatever you're tipping into your retirement fund happens on a regular basis and it happens automatically without you th- even thinking about it, and you can maintain it even when times are tight or you need money or there's certain large expenses taking place in your life. You never basically turn off those automatic deductions so you know, I mean that book has been an international bestseller um, it, I didn't really learn anything new; it just sort of reemphasized what I already knew, but when Tony Robbins tells it, well then everyone listens. Uh, so, it was interesting to, I, I thought that I, I needed to actually read that book because it was in my space, you know, it was, in, it, 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 it was um, not that I'd ever heard of any clients actually reading it, but I thought that to be across globally what everyone's getting educated on and about and by Tony, um, that I needed to be aware of it. So, yeah, that was, it was, it was worthwhile um so what apart from that has this made me change or do like um you know for me it was a life-changing event it was a big 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 shock to the system and um whichever way you look at it um I, i i quite easily could have died and i might not be here now and that has a profound impact on the way that you live your life after that event. I've been um, YouTubing a lot of people, a lot of podcasts that I listen to where people have changed the whole course of their life after a near-death experience. Now, having been through what I've been through, I can relate to that. Um, I can't make massive changes because I'm sort of locked into my lifestyle but i can i can tweak little bits of it i can change you know fortunately i'm not um like I, i've got each day in my calendar i get to choose who i meet with what i do where where i spend my time fortunately my accountancy practice um i've got a team of people who 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 run that i plug into it but it's not totally dependent on me um yeah, so I guess, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but treating each day as a bonus, you know, um, that's what sort of occurred to me. Life's precious, life's short. Um, it's not like you can wait to do all the fun things in life in retirement. Now, you know, now is the time to live and enjoy life Um like i love working but there's also other things i like to do in life like surfing playing guitar um eating out catching up with friends um spending time riding my motorbike all all of those things going to the movies watching um you know reading magazines about topics that i'm interested in um driving cool cars all all of those things are just as important as earning a living so I think it's important moving forward to factor to book time into each week where I do those things because you know I'm not going to be here forever and I don't want to just work 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 and stop working and then do all those things like I'm learning that that's they all need there needs to be a balance and it can't all be like a, reflecting back it's all been too focused on work and investing and wealth creation and you know family's been very important but there's also got to be you, I've also got to make room for those those fun things each week and they're just as important and as, as important mentally for me as doing anything else and, and for my own health um, I need to concentrate and make more of an effort to um, well I guess be healthier so even since that since that um that day i have been leaning more towards plant-based diet and i don't know why but um because of the whole appendix issue uh you know like i've I've met with my surgeon now i've got to do a colonoscopy there's a certain amount of interest now in, in 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 my health so um and now that I'm over 50 as well, like there's a more risk to, to get sick and get ill and maybe be more susceptible to cancer. So by doing the plant-based diet thing, I'm not going totally vegan, but I will cut back on my steaks and introduce more of a vegetable sort of flavor into, into my diet. And I, I don't think that's going to be, I don't think I'm going to actually miss out by doing any of that. I think I'll probably feel healthier and fitter by doing that. I can't, Envisage myself getting to the gym. I just don't really. I mean, I might. I might try it a little bit, but I might get into cycling or something like that. um I just, yeah, I haven't been a big gym junkie ever. But my my three boys go to the gym two or three times a week, and they. My oldest one says it's the highlight of his week. So probably just need to, maybe even go there with them and just see what they what's so fascinating about it and why they enjoy it so much. And, and then a real estate agent that I follow, he he trains like six days a week. That's a huge time commitment. And he wouldn't do it if he didn't enjoy it or got the benefits out of it. So I'm happy to explore that. Um, I think also looking back, I've learned that it's time to get rid of the stress in life. Like I, I think you only totally get rid of stress when you die. But I think it's easy to manage stress in my work um, and by that I mean there are clients that I deal with that do create stress it's easier now with what's happened to be able to turn around and say hey look this is the way this is all going to work if you don't like it um, I totally understand that totally accept that but maybe it's time for us to you know part ways and that's that's um, every time I've done that, and it's rare. Um, it might be like two or three times a year. Uh, looking back, that's always been the right decision. Like that person that I've been dealing with is actually just been very taxing on me mentally, and I don't know why. But some people just are. Uh, they're always really demanding. They complain about fees. They, you know, they're always ringing your mobile asking lots of questions and or emailing you all the time and then if you do send them a bill for researching their answers to their questions and they might question why well, why did I get this bill or you know shouldn't you've just known the answer and been able to answer that in five seconds you know that's not always the case all of these questions that they're asking are a high level of knowledge required and to answer a question me being in my position I've got to think back to the last time I had communication and how I answered similar related question so it's all coherent I need to go in and check their file to make sure that I've understood their corporate structure before I give them any advice I need to research the answer on the internet or with my legal database or speak to a lawyer and then go back to the answer and then go back to them and answer it and then put it in a beautifully worded email that you've checked rechecked make sure there's no typos read it out aloud so that there's no mistakes left it for an hour or two and then come back to it and double check that it's the best answer, and maybe slept on it and then fired it off. I mean, people don't see that as being a response to an email that they just flick to you while they're sort of sitting, waiting at doctor's appointment or whatever. They just, you know. So I think that just reducing stress by managing clients and then, you know, what, what actually happened too was – um I ended up flying over to my shack after a week of being in bed. So for my second week of recovery, I was over there. Um, second week wasn't as bad. I did feel a little bit queasy on the plane, uh, and I didn't really do much at the shack. Like, I didn't – well, I did go fishing one day, but I pretty well just hung around the shack and just relaxed and had afternoon naps and just focused on recovering and just doing very little, which for me is not easy and actually is harder than working flat out. Um, but during that second week i got a phone call from a client who was inquiring about a land tax bill that i'd a land tax declaration that i'd helped them with two years prior um now he was all like i'd actually said that he, he um yeah I, I actually he wanted some emails and he was handling some sort of change in his circumstances he was dealing with revenue sa on and so he wanted the whole email trail from two years earlier that I'd use when I was dealing with Revenue SA, and you know, to be perfectly honest, it was just such a storm in a little teacup, and it, and, I, and I was mentally not in the right frame of mind to be able to deal with all of that because I was sort of still recovering. But I just thought, as it was all happening, and I had to give him answers, and I produced everything we wanted, but it was just, I just really wanted to tap out for a week. I couldn't because he was making it urgent and I just realized that that level of intensity in dealing with clients is just um yeah it's just part of the entrepreneurial journey and um I find that uh that sometimes you just need to step away from that and get someone else in to just deal with it while you just tap out like I should have just been able to turn the phone off, but because I run my own business and for one reason or another, he just wanted to deal with me, that was just a shortcoming in my system. That I just actually want to bring some extra resources in there to be able to deal with those situations in those circumstances because um, it created stress for me when I didn't need it. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think that there's going to be situations like that that I handle differently when, when I need to just have time out. Uh, whereas before, you know, being Invin- the invincible person that I view myself as um, I've always just been able to just go away and fix everyone's problems but I need another problem fixer in my practice uh, I guess also sort of coming back after this has just made me want to double down on what I'm good at do more of that um, you know like I love my accounting and I, I have sectors that I love working with so i want to do more of that and get fun dynamic growing businesses that i associate with and mentor and and grow with um that's what gets me excited um so i want to do more of that fun stuff um moving forward and also i found that the property thing uh you know buying properties and renovating them and and the art of negotiating them and then dealing with banks and organising finance and all of that, I've, I've got a natural affinity to that. I've got so much experience there that, um, what happens in my life on reflection is that I go out and I acquire these properties, I fix them and then I set them up with tenants and they sort of run beautifully. But then I don't have the next one in the pipeline lined up to do straight away. There's a there's usually a two-year gap now it used to be five or seven years but it's coming back I I want that to be like a six-month gap so that I do one in the beginning of the year the first six months and then I do one in the second six months so that's becoming clear so um, I've got a source stock so um, I've come back and I've got you know at the moment trying to buy something on market with dealing with all the natural channels through real estate agents and everything is just just too hard and the property prices are just too high, well it's it's the fear of missing out that you experience when you ring up about a property that you see advertised, so I like going behind the scenes and approaching people directly so um, I am trying to source stock and that means um, finding this is what I've learned is it's 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 finding exactly the property that's suitable for me and when I've got that picture clear in my mind they're everywhere well when I say they're everywhere there's a whole heap of them out there and they're just waiting for the for me to contact the owners and ask them whether they're in a position to sell or whether they're interested in selling and then so I, I just have to do that as a process every week and I should have never stopped doing that and that's the highest return on my time in the property space. Um, And I just want to build up a stock of those properties. So that's speaking to my bank manager and having a pipeline of properties coming through where I can buy them, renovate them and rent them. Uh, Yeah, and I I guess, you know, that people are going to be contacting me saying, well, we're in a boom now. What about when property goes down or... Well, I'm happy for that. I I always like to see property just being flat. Well, I I like to see it actually going up, but in Adelaide, I've learned over time it goes up rapidly, like 30%, and then it's flat for about seven or eight years, and then it goes up another 30%. And over time, well, maybe not 30% both those times, but over time, if you average it out over like a 30-year period, it works out to be like 7%. I worked out on my own property portfolio since I bought them to like, Annually, they're growing at fourteen percent. So I need to be tipping into that model more and more. And My equity is growing, and I spoke to my bank manager today, and he said you're on track. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know your system works, and we're right behind you. So I said that I'd like to increase my borrowing capacity so that I could buy more property, and he was, yeah, he said that's fine. So that that's really good to have the bank behind me and supporting me. And encouraging me to keep going down that track. Um, the other thing, too, is like even though I love Porsche 911s and I've got my Facebook group now, which has got 140,000 members, um, cars are not like properties. Property, you know, if someone buys a car for 60,000 and sells it for hundred and twenty. Or or no, like well there's one Porsche that I've been speaking to the owner about. He paid thirty thousand for it and now he thinks it's worth a hundred and sixty. That's in seven years. That's phenomenal. That is sensational and that's incredible. However, so he, he's standing to make hundred and thirty thousand dollars on this car. Um, I think he spent ten on it, so maybe he's made a hundred and twenty. If I made that on a property, it's like, oh, yeah, so what? No, it's it's just so. What I'm what I'm learning is, I make my money in property. I don't try to make my money in cars. If I do my property thing, well, I can just buy the new Porsche. That that's been become clear to me. Whereas all of the time that you burn in trying to buy these old cars and beat down the old owner on price, and then take it to some place and hope like hell that the engine's not blown up and that the gearbox doesn't need replacing. You know the paint works fine. There's no rust. All of that, all of that, all of that time you spend researching and hoping and fingers crossed, and you know there's so many unknowns and there's so many variables and there's so many things that can go wrong. Forget all of that. Just put the deposit down on the brand new Porsche 911. If you're doing your property well, the bank manager, the finance guy, he's going to say, "Yeah, no worries. When do you want it?" and okay and even if that car goes down in value we're well, probably going to well, I'd probably keep it for the long term anyway even if it did go down it's probably going to end up like all other Porsche 911s provided you get the launch colors and 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 you do a bit of research into what you actually want and what other people are going for um you can probably sell the car when you drive it out of the factory for more than you bought it for with all these crazy covid prices or you can enjoy it for 10, 15 years, and then that car, once the J-curves happen to the price, it probably will, like all the other collector's item, Porsche 911s, be worth what more than what you've paid for it at some point in time, if you hang on to it. It'll be a collector's item, because it's so rare. However, the flip side to that is, you know, if Germany's going to be all electric vehicles in 2030, and they're saying there's only going to be one petrol bowser per town, and you can only drive your, petrol engines at the racetrack at Malala or the bend on Sundays, then there's going to be a whole, there's going to be thousands and thousands of petrol cars that will be sold at a discount because you can't drive them anymore. Now I've spoken to some other people about that and they think that there'll be electro retrofit kits that go in all those cars. Now that is a massive job. And that's a massive industry to repurpose all those cars. But if that does happen, what's going to happen to the you know the, the price of um, petrol engine sports cars? Are they going to conti- continue to go up astronomically or are they going to level off and drop? I don't know the answer to that. But it still reiterates my point that double down on the properties and then just buy whatever you like and... Maybe you won't get your money back or maybe you buy the Taycan instead of the Porsche 911 and then by 2030 that Taycan will be a collector's item or you'll still have so much enjoyment and so much use out of it. Um, But you're not banking on putting all your eggs in one basket trying to buy that car and sell it at a profit down the track because classic cars have gone through the roof. Um, yeah, I guess... Also, you know, staring death in the face has also caused you to sort of reflect on preparing to meet your maker. Now, I know that's deep, but, um, you know, what what happens to us after death? Where do we go? I think that's a question that everyone's addressed at some point. Uh, you know, for me, am I ready to die? No way. Absolutely not. You know, there are things that I wanted to change in my life. or There are things I still want to do. There are things that I... The people I want to speak to, are there uh things I still want to achieve? Absolutely. Like, I guess it's a really good chance to reset and revalue that and then say, like, if I was organizing my funeral in five years' time, what would I actually want people to say? Where would I want to be at? Where would I want to have to allocate in my time? What would I have I wanted to leave as my legacy? Um, what do I want my kids to Remember me by what? What do I want to leave in their lives? What do I? What values do I want them to uphold? I think also surrounding that is who are my close friends because they're just as much a reflection of me as um, a reflection of myself. So you know, it, it's interesting to think how my circle of friends has changed and evolved over time um like i love being with successful business oriented people and that's sort of where my circle of friends are but that mix um i'd like to actually put some other people in there just not business people so that's been something that on reflection um I'd like to sort of bring some more people into the mix who have maybe more like a community or a social sort of element to their life as opposed to just a successful entrepreneur mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing too is it's not just those people in my close circle of friends. I've also got close friends and I... I don't treat them any differently, but I see as they're they're sort of like my followers or sort of like mentories, even though we've never called it that. But I've got probably 10 or 12 people that I contact on a regular basis who are looking up to me and wanting to catch up with me on a regular basis or speak to me on the phone and just hear them out, talk to them about the current issues that they're working through and that's totally fine and I get that and that's a really important role as well Uh, and I need to carve out time for that Um, and those people are some of them are you know really rough diamonds and uh, I struggle with it at times but I really get a lot out of it like not just for being great guys but just also the fact that I'm they're so appreciative of the time that I spend with them and hanging out with them so I think it's important to have people that you are developing and helping and it's not just take, take, take and build, build, build and get better and better and better. It's like it's actually hanging, having hang time with these people and and, and including them in in, in in what you're doing, in the holidays, in the time out that you take and the the, the yeah, the stuff that the, the life, your life outside of work. Um I think also On reflection, I've found that I've been overly generous to my kids and while I think that being a good provider is really important, I think that there's actually a point where you actually go too far and they don't appreciate money. I think that it's been good to hear that from the Barefoot Investor. He's really big on um, kids um, making their own way, earning their own money And understanding the value of money and saving and having all the buckets of money. I mean, I don't really get into that. But for me, I don't want to. Like, because um, my job and investing and wealth and everything is actually all um, performed really well. My boys have a mindset of entitlement and I want to change that. So, uh, I, you know, two of them are getting their P's in three months, but I'm going to make sure that to counteract that sense of entitlement, they uh, drive around crappy cars because that's what I did. Even though all their mates are getting brand new $60,000 Audi A3s and um, A200s, Mercedes, I don't want my boys to do that I, I want one of them's going to be given my um, old hand-me-down Prado from ages ago which is great I mean that's probably a little bit too good for him but because um, that's going to work out that's fine then the other one's going to get my mother-in-law's BMW 318i that's done 284,000 kilometres both got airbags so I was, you know you can't say that they're not safe but I think it's important that they have crappy cars compared to their mates who have got Brand new cars. And then the only other thing that I really want to do financially is maybe help them with a deposit on their house. And that's it. Really, like, apart from that, they're on their own. I mean, I'll support them financially while they're studying, but then cut that tap off. I don't want them to be dependent on the bank of mum and dad. And I'm doing that so that they actually learn the value of money, learn to be diligent with the money that they've got, learn to get a job, to work, to be appreciative of it, to invest well. I mean, I'm happy to give as much advice as I possibly can in that respect, but I think any more than what I've suggested is actually going to spoil them and lull them into a false sense of security financially. Um, You know, the, the classic... The ultimate would be to make your last check bounce when you die. Now, (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen, but how cool would that be that they don't get any inheritance? I mean, they've been given great education, deposit for their house, a car. Isn't that enough? Um, Which means that my life in retirement is going to be fantastic. Um, It'll just be great because I won't be... I'll be enjoying it rather than scrimping and saving, trying to build up the the, um, the balance of funds for distributing to the kids when I'm no longer here. Now, I'm exaggerating and I, I haven't got, got to that, but that that's where I'm at at the moment. Um, I think also the attitude to debt. Now, this comes up a lot. Our brain, Our parents have brainwashed us that, debt is bad. Now this is only general advice only. Your specific situation is going to determine where you're at with investing and debt. Don't take any of this as personal advice. And I'm not and there's not even giving you advice. I'm just giving you my thoughts on my attitude to debt. Now, my attitude to debt is it shouldn't always be pay it down and get less and less and scrimp and save as much out of you and, and suck as much out of your cash flow into paying down debt like if if you're doing a renovation what's the point of trying to cash flow it out of your business that seems to me to be crazy and I'm learning that (coughs) that is self-limiting so I think that um, yeah being open to increasing your debt if it's good debt and good debt I mean is properties, investing, renovation and buying assets that are going up in value uh, Yeah, so it's this mindset of expansion and as part of that, growth comes at a huge cost and if you're increasing your debt as a result, result of growing or, yeah, as a result of growing, well then that's great. Like there's, I, I Googled it, uh, no, I, I went on YouTube to see if there was any um, YouTube videos on debt and all of the ones I could find were about I was actually thinking of doing a YouTube video on hypnotherapy on getting into more debt, but all of the videos on YouTube are hypnotherapy on how to get out of debt, and I think that number one is getting out of credit card debt. I, I completely agree with that. I think that's fine, but I think get paying down your loans on your houses and properties and things like that, I'm not a great believer in that. I'm thinking in in terms of expansion. There's two ways you can go, like... Um, you can focus on increasing your sales and increasing and expanding or you can tighten the belt, tighten the belt, tighten the belt and reduce costs. Both of them are going to push your profit up. I've always been one to focus on the top line. It's like the glass half full, half empty sort of mindset. Uh, I think also what I'm learning in my own business is that quarterly reviews of your financial position are really, really worthwhile. Um, if you're not doing with that with your accountant then they're doing you a disservice like I think monthly is too often and it's hard because you're just uh, reiterating what you did last month and just working out what variances there are and expenses and it's like we've missed a bill there and your cleaning bill for the month or whatever but quarterly analysis of where your business is at is really worthwhile because you can get a snapshot you're only doing it four times a year and you can actually find whether your wages are blowing out whether your sales are up and down what what your purchases are at what your stock levels are at it's really useful when you can compare it to your budget and where you're at um, so I'm finding that I do that on my business on a quarterly basis with my two managers and it's 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 so insightful in what we actually walk out with out of that meeting like um you know. You've got to build a staff base so that you can bring more more work in, um, and you've got to have these long term goals so that you know maybe your wages blow out, and then that's room for you to actually bring in on board more sales. Um, so if you're doing this on a quarterly basis, it's there's a pattern that develops, and it's easy to um, stay f- focused and grow in line with um, the feedback that you're getting on your quarterly reviews uh, what I've also done too now is um, I've actually caught up with uh, I've, I've identified someone who I view as um, a peer in my space but is actually a lot more successful than me and for some reason one reason or another they actually want to hang out with me and give me feedback on, and and obviously the feedback is to go from where I'm at at to where they're at. And I've actually found that to be really, really helpful, and and it's free, and I just, I don't know why I didn't adopt it sooner, but it's important. The person that I've been catching up with is, their business is three times the size of mine, so every time we catch up, the feedback is awesome because it's like they were going through exactly what I'm going through, um, five years ago, so they can give me feedback and insight into exact all of the issues I'm dealing with and mentor me in what um, they would do as they faced each of those hurdles that I'm facing, that they've overcome them, so they've got the answers, they've got the answer sheet there and it's so much easier to learn from their examples than by learning by my own my mistakes. So I said to them last time we caught up, you know, who, who am I? Who do you perceive me to be? And their feedback was really, really good. It was like you're a typical accountant. You're tight with your money. You cl- claw all these things close to your chest. You don't want to feed out anything to other people. You're not generous enough. Um, you know, you are trying to do all these other things when you just need to focus on the main thing. And that was really good. So I got back to the office and offloaded a whole lot of things that I was doing that other people could do for me and other people could do better than, than me and just focused and staying in my lane and doing what I'm good at. And that's just um, doing more accounting and growing my accounting practice and and managing my staff and um, yeah, getting better at the system of the accounting practice like working on my business, improving every touch point with my clients, working out how I can be in a better accountant to my clients and all this other stuff that you, I plug in when I, you know, when when the work slows down or when I want to go down a different track, they're all distractions and they, they all should be pushed back or um, stopped or delegated to someone else and just focus on what. I need to be good at and what I need to, to do to take my business to the next level um, he, you know and just things too like easy things like he gave me the name of the guy who washes his car every Monday um, he gave me the name of the guy who does all his property maintenance you know and those two things alone take me hours and hours each week now, I mean, not so much the car because I'm like wash my car once a week or wash it every two weeks or take it down to the car wash but how good is it if someone comes to my office they wash my car they vacuum it um they just lock it in every week just how good's that and then the 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 property manager the property maintenance guy like I I can't believe I haven't got someone on earlier to do that um it comes it's like his rate is a quarter of what mine is. Why was I doing it? It's not like I actually enjoy it. I've done it for so long. All the jobs that I'm doing on my properties are just jobs that I shouldn't be doing. It's not like I enjoy them. I can I do them in my sleep. I can delegate them, but um, for some reason, I've just always jumped in the car and gone and done it because I felt, thought that, you know, that's a good service for my tenants, but really it's so much better to get someone else to do it. Um, yeah, and then, also, the topic that we last caught up with when I met with my mentor was just you know leverage how do I leverage my time how do I get other people to do things for me so that I can get the maximum amount out of my day and maybe do less time each day but be more productive in what I'm doing anyway um yeah I guess this is i hopefully hope hope that this has actually um been of benefit to you uh yeah it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster ride for me over the last two or three weeks so uh i hope it's not been too deep but yeah on reflection i hope that you've been able to pick up some of the the learnings that i've had out of this life-changing event thanks for tuning in